Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central, and it starts right now. Everyone and welcome to Sports Unlimited here, Southern Sports Central. And I've got three hours jam-packed worth of some great sports talk. And as always, if you want to call in, get your thoughts on anything sports-related, bro, what have you, anything you have on your mind, be sure to call in three two three seven eight four nine six eight one. That number again, 323-784-9681. And before we start uh, the crux of the show, before we really get into uh, some, some sports topics t- this morning, I want to mention a couple of things. First off, I wish CBS would bring back the old theme. I, it just sounds better. It, it works better. It has that ring to it. Um, I just... I, I'm not even after so many years of the the new theme being around. I still prefer the classic. CBS, bring back the old theme. Do what Fox, you know, Fox, the, in in their infinite wisdom, as Fox with us. You know, if you guys watch TV shows, you know that Fox uh, isn't very good when it comes to this sort of thing. In their infinite wisdom to make everyone use the NFL theme. And it didn't work, especially in, in September when you, you know, you could turn on the TV and, and you just hear the theme and you could turn, you know, yeah, uh, if 
based on the day, you would know what game, what type of game it is. But just based off of the team, you wouldn't know if it's the MLB or the NFL. And I like having that variety. I'll talk more about sports teams later on because there's some big news uh, in regards to one theme coming back soon as a result of a new deal being made. That will be my my closer for this morning. But before we get into some current topics, I also wanted to bring up the fact that we've made it, people. This is the year anniversary that I like to call there's the day the music died, and today it was the, the day the sports world stood still. This is a it's a year to the day. Now, yesterday, last night was technically the start of it, was when Rudy Gobert, you know, got contracted COVID and and the and the NBA shut down. But this day, and I said that night, I, I said after the NBA shut down, I said, I knew, I knew that today would be a long day. And rightfully so, you know, uh, first the ACC and I think the SEC shut down shortly thereafter. The the Big East was the last one to shut down its tournament. You know, they were playing, I, it was St. John's against, I want to say Georgetown. Uh, and we'll talk about those two teams a little in a little bit, what's going on with them currently. Uh, but... Uh, is St. John's and Georgetown were playing. They were on the court, you know, not, there were limited fans at the time, um, but they were still playing and when everyone else was shut down and they were the last bastion of sports still on. And I think, I think the whole nation was watching that game waiting. Okay. When's it going to end? And they only lasted until halftime and then they shut it down. And I think the in the NHL shut down shortly thereafter. MLB shut down training. You know, it. I. I obviously not currently, but this is one of those days that you know, like the July seventeenth, nineteen ninety four documentary. Uh, if you haven't seen that thirty for thirty, definitely go check it out. Um, it, it's awesome. Or June seventeenth, excuse me, June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four, when OJ, Uncle and and all of that, uh, and the Knicks game, and and just having so many different things in the sports world be attached. This is another one of those days that would that it there needs to be a thirty for thirty made about last year's events and and the surrealness of it uh you know in in a few years obviously and they already did a bit of one they did a 30 for 30 like short or an audio one uh about the nba shutting down uh which i meant to listen to yesterday but i didn't get the chance to i'll listen to it probably later on um today but you know that it makes you you know think it you know we have so many sports now and and we're you know we're on our path to being back to normal but you know it's it's crazy how you know one moment shifted the course of 
sports history for, you know, about half a year at least. You know, and even then, even right now, we're still seeing the effects, as I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, Before I get to that, I I will switch to talking about the college – the college basketball conference tournaments and, you know, the the big news that came out yesterday, Duke, Duke uh, having to uh, forfeit due to a positive test. And that, that's going to mean that uh, both Duke and Kentucky will not be in the tournament for the first time since in the 80s. And the exact year right now, but the fact that they have not been in it in, you know, almost 40 years is, I mean, that just shows, you know, obviously one or two of them have not been in it, but both of them together not being in it uh, for the first time since the 80s and Duke not being in it for the first time since the early 2000s is quite remarkable. Uh, it shows the longevity of Coach K. It shows how dominant that program has been for so long. Uh, and so, you know, tough break for them, obviously. They were starting to get hot. I don't think they would have made it regardless. But a, a tough way to end the season, that's for sure. But yeah, and, and as always, if, if you guys, I want to hear some of your stories about, you know, what your thoughts were going into today last year and and all of that. Uh and thinking about, you know, what, you know, what transpired uh, on this day last year. Uh it was very surreal. I I remember, like I said, I remember waking up early and and watching all the coverage and just saying, "Okay, here we go." Let's wait to see what happens. When do the dominoes fall? Um, so, yes, a, a surreal day, but like I said, we've got sports. We've got we've got a bunch of – we've got almost every sport now. It's crazy. Now, you know, a year later, you know, technically, you know, you have all four major sports playing at the same time for an extended period of time. Baseball's in spring training now. Obviously, the uh, NBA, NHL are playing their regular season right now. And you've got FCS college football. So you've got all four majors playing in some shape or form right now. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it is a good time to be a sports fan now. And let's get into some talk about it. We'll start on, on the baseball diamond. Uh, the big two big news pieces coming out over the last couple of weeks. Uh, obviously, me not being on for a few weeks, kind of, kind of backtrack uh, on a couple of things and get my thoughts on them. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. and the Padres agreed to 14-year extension worth over 300 million dollars. And you know what? What can you say about what more can you say about Fernando Tatis Jr.? You know, this is a great deal for the Padres because he's still a young player. Locked him up for the majority of his career. And the Padres are a team. I'm not sure yet, 
but they will get there over the next couple of years. And they seem to be gain, be run very well right now. They they need a, they may need a little bit more pitching. They got some pitching in the off season, but they I feel like there's they're one or two pieces away, especially in a you know in a fairly strong NL West. Not you know it's not dominant, but it's fairly strong. Uh, so they're gonna be they're gonna be good for a while, but I think they're maybe one or two pieces away from really being dominant and being a real World Series contender. Uh, moving on, uh, Albert Pujols, according to his wife, saying that he's going to retire following the 2021 season. And I've talked about it before, but it really is a tale of two careers, I feel, for Pujols. When he was in St. Louis, he was in, he was the man. He he was dominant. He was you know the the talk of the baseball world. He was considered an all time great, et cetera, et cetera. All the accolades you can put on him. But ever since he moved to the Angels, ever since he moved to Los Angeles, and this has to do, I feel, with a couple of things. This has a there's a couple of different factors for why this is. First is the fact that he first the fact that the Angels haven't been all that great during his tenure there. And the second is Mike Trout. Mike Trout is the younger, more, you know, the the more uh flashy at least currently uh and the the bigger name in terms of who people talked about. You know, a lot of times when you talk about the Angels, especially over the last few years, you even forget that Albert Pujols is even on that team. That's how big of a fall he's had, is that you're like, you, you forget, and then when his name gets brought up, you're like, oh, right, yeah, he's on the Angels still. He's still playing, isn't he? Yeah, so it's it's a situation where, and he'll still get into the Hall of Fame, no doubt, no doubt. But it really is where his career just kind of he just kind of faded away. You know, even even with this, it, it it's you know it's a big story, but not many people were really reporting on it all that much. Uh. And so it's it's a situation where it's like, you know, why? You know, and and the reason is because of the combination of of the Angels not playing very well and and him being overshadowed by Mike Trout. And it's very disappointing for Pujols who, you know, was one of the biggest names in the mid to late 2000s and then he just you know, kind of fell off the radar, you know, because he moved to a new team. But hopefully he gets the recognition he deserves if this is, in fact, his last season. He gets that, uh, you know, Jeter-esque or Mariano-esque uh, send-off of every 
every time he goes to a new city, he gets that send off and all of that. Uh, but either way, definitely a Hall of Fame worthy career. Moving on to the NBA, uh, a couple of big moves. Well, one one that is going to happen, and the other that has happened already. Lamarcus Aldridge is leaving the Spurs. Um, they've mutually agreed to part ways. Spurs are looking for a trade that will work for them. Um, nothing done yet, but he could be a good option for a team that's in need of a power, a power forward, a, a post presence. Uh, you know, there have been a few, a few team names that have popped up, uh, Surpri- kind of surprisingly, but kind of not. The Lakers have been brought up, and that would just make that team even more dominant. Uh, you know, I think Lamarcus Aldridge still has plenty in the tank. He has something to offer a team, uh, and I think I I I think he would be a good addition to a team that's either just simply in need of a power forward uh that can that can play in inside the paint um but also you know either a team like the Lakers that just want him that the the rich get richer type of thing or he could be a a player that gets onto a team that may be on the cusp but they just need that one extra boost to get over that hump and to to become real contenders. And yeah, it'll, it, it's going to be interesting to see where he lands. That's for sure, because I think that it could be it could create a big shift in whatever conference he goes. Speaking of moves that could potentially make at least a little bit of, switch, of a shift. I'm not sure if it makes a huge, huge shift, but it's definitely a situation of the rich getting richer. Blake Griffin, signed by the Brooklyn Nets, obviously his time in Detroit wasn't all that great. A lot of people are questioning what he has left in the tank. But here's the thing you have to take into consideration. In Detroit... Because they don't really have much around him, they're kind of in a rebuilding stage over there. He was asked to do a lot more than he was able to handle at this stage in his career. In Brooklyn, however, he's got plenty of pieces around him where he does not be he does not need to be the focal point. If he can still play strong in the post, he doesn't need to worry about getting points. He doesn't need to worry about scoring. He can be the guy that just that just holds down the rim defensively, gets offensive rebounds, gets some putbacks put back, put offensively, and just has that inside presence can't just play five wide out. And 
and so combining him with with Durant and Irving and and Harden, I think this team again they're playing very well right now. But and and I, I'll I'll admit this came back to bite me when I was talking about Tampa Bay in the NFL earlier this year or last year. But I think I I don't think they're quite there in terms of chemistry. Now they've been very good chemistry wise, surprisingly good chemistry wise, uh thus far this season. But playoffs are just a different animal. I mean, look at look at the big three with the Heat. And those guys were best friends and all of that and, and they were playing they played very well during the regular season. But come the come the playoffs, they just could not quite get over that hump and win it all in their first season. And I think that's what's gonna happen here with Brooklyn. I just don't see them being able to get it completely a hundred percent right in the first season in order to win it all. Do I think they're going to win it all at some point over the next couple of years, especially if Blake Griffin pans out? Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to consider Brooklyn as the front runner for, at least for the East, for the next couple of years. Yes, you obviously have other teams that are very good. Brooklyn has to be considered one of the best teams, at least in the East, if not in the entire NBA, uh, over the next couple of years. Uh, so, you know, that's that's a situation that, uh, you know, the the Nets are, yeah, the Nets are going to be a very good team over the next few years. And, you know, you can, I mean, anyone that looks at that team can see why. So they're going to be a team to be reckoned with. Like I said, I don't think they're quite there yet this year. They're going to make a run in the playoffs, that's for sure. But I don't think they they do in their first year. It's very hard, especially in the NBA, to win as your you know, to win the first year as a super team. You never you never really see it. Even, you know, look at the Heat, look at the War I think well, the Warriors the first year as a super team did. But that was they were already winning championships and, and having record seasons even without Durant. So that's a little different. Uh but the the Lakers didn't do it their first year. So this they're not going to win it all I don't think this year, but they're they're definitely set up for uh for big things moving forward. Moving over to the NFL, a few big things happened over the last couple of weeks. Uh JJ Watt was released by the Texans and then signed with the Cardinals and boy, boy, 
Where do I begin with this one? First off, is is the are the Texans now the Cardinals feeder system or something? Because this is now two big time bona fide pro bowlers that the Texans have essentially just handed to Arizona. And now the talks there there was there was something floating around about Deshaun Watson being traded to the Bears that ended up being false. Uh but and and the the controversy is still brewing between those two camps and it it's gonna I just don't see especially after this move. Because you have to imagine Deshaun Watson is fuming about this. Because J.J. Watt, you know, he's starting to get up there a little bit, but he still has plenty to play with. Uh, just another one of those moves that just, it's a head-scratcher. At least on the Texans' end. The Cardinals, the the Cardinals are setting themselves up to be a real threat. The NFC West, I think next season is going to be the strongest division we've ever seen. Because the the Seahawks are a legitimate threat. The 49ers are a legitimate threat if they stay healthy. The Rams will see what happens with the Rams. Made now with Matt Stafford under the helm, but and, and the Cardinals. I think you know Kyler Murray is going to make another. You know, is going to get better in his in his third year in uh, in Arizona. They're going to be a real threat. I honestly think that last year I was very, I I was not I did not think that they were going to be as good as they were last year. They they surprised me. They surprised me last year. But this year, with the pieces that he has around him, and who knows what they're going to do in the draft. I could I, I could see the Cardinals being a legitimate threat. Do I think they make the playoffs in that strong NFC West? Maybe not this year. Although, considering you now have three wild card teams, it it could you could see them make it. You could easily see them making making the playoffs. Uh especially in the NFC where one division is basically a joke, which we'll talk about that division in a little bit. But I could definitely see them making the playoffs. And and that's gonna be uh that that's gonna be a fun that that's gonna be an interesting uh a, a very interesting division to watch and a very interesting team to watch Moving on over to the NFC East, a couple of big stories over in that division. Uh, first, Carson Wentz traded to the Colts. 
for a 2021 third-round pick and a 2022 conditional second-round pick. And boy, have the mighty fallen. You know, just a few years ago, Carson Wentz was considered, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in, in the NFL. And now he's basically getting traded for, you know, mid-level draft picks that the, the Eagles essentially disowned him, which allowed teams to lowball for him. And the Colts swooped him up after Phillip Rivers retired. And I think it's a good move. I think it's a good move for the Colts. I don't know how much Carson Wentz has left. Uh, I even said I even said this back after his second injury. You know, and and the stories came out about how he had back issues in college. I knew, I knew that he was gonna, he wasn't gonna live up to the hype. But this could be a second life for him. This could be a second life for him. The Colts are kind of in a rebuilding phase as well right now. So I don't expect anything crazy. But if he can help them win a couple of games, good for him. We'll we'll see how that works out. But, you know, the the the... Eagles definitely wanted to, to, you know, offload him and and get him out of their hair, and they did. Uh, one final NFL story, and then I'll take a quick break. Uh, and this is the big one: Dak Prescott signed a four-year, one hundred sixty million dollar contract, one hundred twenty-six million dollars guaranteed. Not quite what you know. Mahomes got or anything like that. I don't know if anyone will top Mahomes at this point. But still, a good deal for Dak and a good deal for Dallas because it gets it their franchise quarterback. It gets them their franchise quarterback that they've been looking, you know, that they've wanted. It 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 locks up Dak for for the next few years. It avoids the franchise tag again. And you know, I think I think just all in all it's a good deal for everyone at this point. Because Dak gets his money, Cowboys and and they structured it well to make sure that the the cap hit wasn't that bad on this year when they dropped the cap uh by a few million uh for this upcoming season due to the the revenue loss from last season but this this is a good this is a good uh this is a good deal for uh for both Dak and the Cowboys in my opinion. So good on them for being able to make a deal, get a deal done. You know, a lot of people did not think this was going to happen after what happened last year. And especially with the injury and everything. Good on Dallas to, you know, pay him even after the injury. And this is coming from a Giants fan. So well done to them. 
Uh, I'll take a quick break and then come right back. We'll talk some college basketball, talk NCAA, uh, you know, talk conference tournaments, gate trade for Selection Sunday, and uh, and the NCAA tournament right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. Welcome back to Sports Unlimited here on Southern Sports Central. Lines are wide open. Be sure to call on in 323-784-9681. That number again, 323-784-9681. Get your thoughts on all things sports, pro, college, high school, what have you. And we're going to switch gears, move over to the college ranks, and talk about the conference tournaments going on right now and get you ready for March Madness. Technically, we're really in March Madness already, but uh, the the real deal, the NCAA tournament starts next week, Selection Sunday, this Sunday, uh, and then tournament time. We'll have all, I'll, I'll have all of my thoughts on the first round matchups next weekend, or next week, uh, so be sure to tune in for that, but 
right now, college tournament or conference tournament time, excuse me. And first, the let's get the big news right out of the way. Like I mentioned earlier, Duke forced to uh, forfeit the game due to COVID, due to a positive test on the team, uh, which allowed Florida State to advance. And, I mean, who knows? Maybe Florida State would have won the game anyway, but that is a tough way to end your season not being able to determine it on determine it on the court. But at least we're getting a at least we're getting a, an actual NCAA tournament this season unlike last season. Um a few other games of note the the big the big one uh the big upset yesterday that really uh really shocked everyone. was Georgetown beating the number one seed in the Big East tournament, Villanova, 72-71, and advancing to the semifinals of the Big East tournament. And that's going to shake up some things. Because Villanova was the expected favorite game. So they're going to be an at-large bid. They they were the expected favorite for the tournament, so they're definitely going to get an at large bid, no matter who wins the the Big East tournament. But now that takes one more spot away from a potential at large bid, uh, who who could have potentially uh been going into uh into the tournament. That was the that was the big news. That was the big game uh yesterday. A few other games uh happened or a few other games were somewhat influential. Uh Gonzaga came very close the other day to being eliminated and that would have that would have definitely shook things up because they are the they are considered the number one team in the nation, and if they would have lost, they definitely still would have been getting in. And you know the 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 whack, I would say at least most years, you have a few years that that they that they send more than one, but oftentimes it's Gonzaga and then. Nobody else. Maybe they'll send one other team, but that definitely would have shaken things up. With Gonzaga definitely getting in, even if they don't, uh, even if they don't um, win their win win their conference tournament. But if they would have been knocked out, whoever won the whack would have then had a big uh big position to uh or excuse me, the West Coast Conference. I knew that didn't sound right. But yeah, though the uh the Gonzaga Bulldogs 
didn't, you know, they they managed to pull it out, but they they definitely had to fight for it, and that would have been that would have shaken things up a lot. That would have shaken that up things up a lot. Um, you know, the the big conferences they're they're gonna send a few schools, but you know. It's going to be very interesting to see how this uh, how this tournament works out, especially with some of the some of the blue bloods, and and this has been something that people have been talking about with all sports this year, and I I I feel like there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of reasons behind this. There's a couple of um, there's a couple of factors for why this is, but there has been a dip in ratings of everything this past year. And I think it's a combination of the fact that, for one, those who were kind of casual sports fans when they didn't have anything for all of those months, they just moved on to something else. And they haven't fully returned. That's one. Two, I think it's the fact that there is so much, especially this year, uh, between the between COVID and the election and and uh, and the the BLM movement so many other things, so many more pressing matters have come into the forefront. Now, not so much right now, but throughout 2020, there were so many more pressing matters that people were focused on. And as a result of that, a lot of people who weren't hardcore, diehard sports fans I don't care about sports right now. I don't I don't need it. You know, yes, I can use it as a distraction, but there are more pressing matters to focus on right now. And on top of that, the fact that there were no that there are no fans in the stands, it kind of put even with the the uh the audio being piped in, it still pulls you out of the experience a little bit. So that's why I think the ratings have been down, and, and it's going to be interesting to see what the ratings are going to be like for this NCAA tournament. You don't have Duke, you don't have Kentucky, and you're not going to have fans. And it's all going to be in Indianapolis. So is it is that, you know, especially, and especially, and the other thing that I'm going to be very intrigued about with this NCAA tournament, I think, mark my words, and again, if I'm wrong, please, please call me out. Please call in and call me out. 323-784-9681 is a number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. Please, if, if come next week, because most of the games that I'll be talking about when it comes to this will be finished, or at least half of them will be, uh, and the other half will be getting ready to go. I'll give you. Uh, I'll have the full preview for you 
uh, on the Friday games. Recap Thursday and, and preview Friday next week. But mark my words, I think there is going to be a big dip in upsets this season. I think the higher seed is going to win a lot more games than they normally do. And it's going to be because of that atmosphere. When you, you know, a lot of those lower seed Cinderella teams use the energy of the crowd as they feed off of it in order to continue to gain momentum and to keep their momentum. And without that, I feel like the favorites are and the higher seeds are going to be able to, you know, battle back a little bit better. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. And, of course, we've had a whole season of this, so these teams have gotten used to this. Again, I, I just have this feeling that that that's going to happen that that these teams are going to uh ha- that that the the Cinderellas aren't going to be at the ball this year i just don't see it and again i, I personally i hope i'm wrong but i'm i'm just putting it out there as i think that's what's going to happen Looking ahead to tonight, or to well today and tonight, looking at a couple of the big games uh, throughout today that are going to have some impact on some teams. Georgetown against Seton Hall in the sem- in the Big East tournament semifinals. I- I'm a Seton Hall grad. I'm a Seton Hall alumni, so I've got a, a personal connection to this and. It's not looking good for the Pirates right now, but they're they have a good chance now though. They have a legitimate chance to all they have to do is just win this game and win the next game and they don't need to worry about what their record is. They get an automatic berth because they won the Big East. So if they do what they need to do I think they can win this game. I I definitely think that they have a legitimate chance of winning this game. And it it would be it would be it would be a great win for them. It may even put them in a spot where they might be able to make it even without winning the tournament. But it definitely will set them up for a position now. Uh I think they have they definitely have a good chance of winning this game. But at the same time I think this game is going to be very close as well. Uh one game has been uh canceled. North Carolina A&T season comes to an end. Norfolk State moves moves on in the MEAC uh due to North Carolina A&T having a COVID case. So disappointing for them as well. Maryland and Michigan 
in the Big Ten Championship quarterfinals. Michigan is Michigan has this one in the bag. Mississippi State and Alabama play in the quarterfinal of the SEC tournament. Alabama is going to win that one. Uh, Ohio State and Purdue in the quarterfinal. That's going to be an interesting one. I think Ohio State's probably going to win that one, but Purdue's a good team. I could see them potentially pulling off the slight upset. Florida and Tennessee in the SEC quarterfinal. That's going to be a fun one as well. Both teams are good. I'm not sure who I I would pick in this one. I'm not sure. I, I think I will give a slight edge to Tennessee, but not by much. This one's going to be one of those that come right down to the wire. As have a few games thus far in this conference tournament uh, season. And it's been fun to watch. Some other games to keep an eye out for. Oklahoma State and Baylor in the semifinals of the Big Ten Championship. Going to be a fun one. I think Baylor probably has probably is going to win this game, but I could see Oklahoma State giving them a run for their money. Rutgers and Illinois in the Big Ten quarterfinal. That should be an interesting one. Illinois probably has that one in the bag, but Rutgers, especially after missing out on their first NCAA tournament berth, in a long time last season. They're going to want to make sure that they get in the tournament this year. Georgia Tech and and Virginia playing in the semifinals of the ACC tournament. I think think Virginia probably has that one. Uh, But Georgia Tech could put up a fight. Arkansas in the quarterfinals of the SEC tournament. Arkansas probably has that one. Oregon State and Oregon, the the uh, si- the Civil War in the Pac-12 semifinal. That should be a fun one. I think Oregon probably wins that one. North Carolina and Florida State in the other a- ACC semifinal. That should be a fun one. Uh. Florida State is a slight favorite, but I think North Carolina is going to win this game. I think North Carolina wins this one. And then the a a couple of other big games, uh, UConn and and Crane playing in the semifinals uh, in the Big East tournament. That's going to be a fun game as well. I think Crane has a slight edge. Uh, on UConn there. Wisconsin and Iowa playing in the quarterfinals of the Big Ten tournament. That should be an interesting one as well. Slight edge to Iowa, I think, but not by much. Ole Miss and LSU playing in the SEC quarterfinals. That should be an interesting one as well. I, I'll give a slight edge to LSU, but Again, 
Not by much. A lot of these games, I think, tonight, and we, like I said, we've seen a lot of games already. We've seen a lot of close games already. And as we get further and further along, you're just going to see more and more nail biters uh, in the in these conference tournaments. Texas and Kansas plays in the other big semifinal, and that's going to be another that's going to be another one that's going to be a big nail biter. I'll give a slight edge to Kansas, but. Not by much. And then the other Pac-12 semifinal is Colorado and USC. That should also be a good one. Uh, I'll give a slight edge to USC in that one. So those are all the big games uh, to look forward to tonight. We're getting closer and closer. Uh, you got all of the different uh, conferences that are some have finished already. Uh, some some still waiting to see where they where they land. And like I said, this is going to be one of the more interesting uh, NCAA tournaments that we've ever seen because of the unknown of how how the lack of fans will impact how these teams play. Because let me just go through some of the let me just go through some of the current bracketology. Since since I won't have a chance to give you my thoughts based purely on the, the bracket itself uh, before games start. But going, just looking at the latest bracketology, and if, if this were the case, some of the big games that are, that are the ones that will often uh, determine, well, uh, some of the big games that will often be the upset watches Crane against Toledo at at 512 in you know I would probably pick Crane regardless but I think it helps that there are no fans same with Purdue and USC UCSB same with Oklahoma State and Grand Canyon at 3 and 14 same with well BYU and VCU. That's going to be an that will be an interesting one regardless. Ohio State and Drexel. That could have that I could see I could have seen that be an interesting matchup where Drexel may have a chance of pulling off the big upset if there were fans, but now probably not. West Virginia and Liberty at a four and thirteen. Probably would have picked West Virginia anyway, but under normal circumstances, you could have seen Liberty potentially see about pulling off the upset. Same with Kansas and Colgate at three and fourteen. 
The one that may actually be an upset that I could see happening is San Diego State at 7 and, and Maryland at 10. Now, this is all speculation, obviously, based on what the the bracketology is right now. Maybe I, I might I might try to jump on the show on on Monday uh, to talk about the the brackets and and whatnot and, and talk about what games may be upset. You know, St. Bonaventure and LSU at seven and ten that could potent could have potentially been an upset if it were in a regular year, but now. Who knows? You know, Virginia and Greenville. Again, that could have potentially been an upset. You know, Texas Tech and Wichita State, five and twelve. Again, might have been an upset if 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 you if you had fans. But now, who who knows how that's going to play out? Villanova and Winthrop at a five and twelve. Winthrop has played so well this year, and Villanova now, granted, after them getting knocked out of the Big East tournament, even like even if that happened in regular times, they would have been wanting revenge, and they would have been out for blood in that first game. So Winthrop probably would have gotten beat anyway but with fans that could have been a game that could have potentially seen an upset there there are some of the games just based off of the current bracketology that look like under normal circumstances look like they could have potentially been upsets waiting to happen but but without fans I, I feel like it's not as likely. So I'll take a quick break, come right back, and for the next hour, we'll talk some high school sports, talk about some recruiting, talk about some other things uh, that are going on in the high school world, give you the recap of the all of the SEHSL basketball tournaments, and Talk talk a little bit about baseball. Baseball season just starting up here in South Carolina. So be sure to stay tuned right here to Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central.
Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. And the phone lines are wide open if you want to get your thoughts on anything sports-related. 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. Be sure to call on in if you've got any thoughts on anything, high school, college, pro, anything you want to get your thoughts on uh in the world of sports, talk about the NCAA tournament. Talk about what you were doing today a year ago. This is the year anniversary of when the sports world stopped. Uh, your thoughts on, on anything sports-related. Once again, 323-784-9681. Before I move on to some recruiting news and, and high school news, some a few college uh, things that uh, that impact you high school recruits. NCAA expected to allow uh, free transfers uh, for this season, but the report that I've last seen is that it's only expected to be for this season. So, yes, those 2021 guys, you guys are getting the short end of the stick here on so many different levels. So if if you don't have a if you if you're not locked into a scholarship already, it's gonna get tight out there uh, over the next few months as more and more players, especially considering the extra year of eligibility for the football players and for all the fall players, they have that extra year of eligibility that they can use for next season. Uh, so a lot of guys, obviously not the top end guys, but the, the mid to lower level guys uh, in FBS and, and those in FCS, they're going to be using that extra year more than likely to play in another year. So it, that that backlog is going to get even worse than it already is. So be sure to keep on, keep keep on that and and you know it but luckily at least in my opinion the the fact that they're they're playing the only do it for this season they won't have to um they won't have to worry about you know what they they won't have to worry you know, well for those of you in the 2022 class, 2023 class moving ahead, you won't have to worry about this backlog and this uncertainty 
every year. And it, it kind of makes sense for why they do the free transfer just for this year, because a lot of players are going to have that extra year of eligibility, but the school that they're at currently may say, well, we don't, we don't need you right now. We, we want to move forward and they're going to have to find a new home for their final year of eligibility. And you don't want to make them have to for something that they couldn't control. So it makes sense, but it's going to be interesting to see how it works out. Uh, it, it's also going to be interesting to see how many players decide to use it. You know, a lot of players that have decided to say, I'm coming back for an extra year, those schools have already said, yeah, we're going to welcome you back and, and we're going to take that hit. So I don't, I think a lot of people are making a big deal out of this when I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference. Maybe I'm wrong. It it may hurt some people. It's going to hurt that that guy that you know is is right on the cusp. But it will have as dramatic of an effect as a lot of people first thought. One other final college note before we move on to high school. Les, Kansas and Les Miles uh, have parted ways. And, I mean, the Les Miles saga just keeps on continuing. And on top of that, the Kansas saga keeps on continuing. They just They just cannot catch a break. And, you know... I think there's really only outside of the schools that have just always been good at both. There has really only been one because when you talk about the schools that are are good at both, you often don't even qualify them as a football school or a basketball school. Look at it, Texas. You know, they're you'd probably say they are primarily a football school, but they're still good at basketball, and thus, you know, they're just a good overall program. Florida, same thing. You know, uh, Notre Dame, to an extent, you could say the same thing. USC, you could say the same thing to an extent. Oregon, you could say the same thing. There's, there are schools that are like that, that, you know, Michigan, you could say that, where they're good in both football and basketball. But I don't think there's ever really been a school that you can say that it, on paper, and when you look at their tradition, you can say they're primarily a basketball school that has ever really been. You know, UNC has had their runs here and there, but they've never gotten to the top of the heap or anything like that. So that's going to be the battle that whoever takes over at Kansas is going to have to deal with. Kansas is not a football school, point blank. No matter how good they ever get in in football, 
basketball will always be king at Kansas. There are just certain schools that are like, no matter how good the football school or football program is. And yes, a lot of decisions are made based off of football just simply because of the the economics of it. But football, the the basketball uh, programs at certain schools will always be, be more popular and considered bigger than the football program at certain at certain programs. We got a caller on the line. Hey, who's this? No, I'm just listening. That's all. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then, but, yeah, so, you know, there are, you know, Syracuse is one of those. Duke, UNC, obviously, uh, Kansas, obviously, Kentucky. Those are just... Those are just the schools that, no matter what, no matter what the football program does at those schools, basketball will always will always be king. That that's just you know that's just how it is. So whoever takes over for Les Miles at Kansas will always be fighting an uphill battle. When it comes to that, and not only that, they're kind of the outlier when it comes to the Big 12. You know, you've got all the schools in Texas and Oklahoma. Yes, you've got West Virginia that's even more of an outlier. But Kansas and Kansas State are kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and there aren't all that much recruits in Kansas and, you know, there, you know, people have talked about Kansas becoming a, you know, ever especially after Les Miles took the job, they were like, oh, is this going to be what's going to turn Kansas football around? I don't see it ever happening. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Jayhawk fans. I just don't. I, I never see it happening on the football field for Kansas. So with that being said, I'll move over. Uh, Got a bunch of recruiting notes, a bunch of uh, guys getting offers, commitments uh, over the last few weeks. I'll run down them real quick before we move on to talking about the SEHSO championships for basketball and a few other high school notes. Got Ian Guerin coming on from Maori News at 9, and I'll talk to him about a bunch of things uh, throughout the the state and particularly here on the Grand Strand. First, the recruiting notes. Michael Kennedy from Southside Christian was offered by Arkansas State. EJ Evett from Seneca was offered by Middle Tennessee State. Jacoby Henderson from Southbridge was offered by Middle Tennessee State and Liberty, so he got a, a pretty good couple of weeks. Jaheim Lawson from Daniel was offered by Middle Tennessee State, Western Kentucky, and ECU. Good week. A, a good couple of weeks, rather. Chase Swigert from Chapin offered by Western Kentucky. Zan Dunman, Dunham from Chapin was offered by ECU and South Carolina. Quan Peterson from South Point was offered by Tulane. Robbie Harrison from Emerald offered by both Tulane and Navy. 
Tyler Smith from Gaffney was also offered by Navy. Drew Bobo from Hammond was offered by Charlotte in Oregon. Marcus Boston Brinkley from Fort Mill was offered by Charlotte and Brown. Xavier Short from Chapman was offered by Yale and Charlotte. Josh Sapp from Greenville was offered by Charlotte, Coastal, and Tulane. So he had a good couple. Also offered by Charlotte. Charlotte, uh, the 49ers, uh, uh, which makes sense, considering one of the big news that came out over the uh, over the last couple of weeks was that uh, Coach Parks left Ridgeview to take over the wide receiver coaching job at Charlotte. So he's been hot on the recruiting trail around here, focusing on the on the Palmetto State that he's known for so long, uh, and and focusing on guys that he knew personally, like Trey Franklin, uh, Deuce Caldwell from Malden was also offered by Charlotte and UC, UC, excuse me, UCF. DQ Smith from Spring Valley, also offered by Charlotte. And the final Charlotte offer was for Jarek Foster from Nation Ford. But expect to see a lot more of that moving forward as we go through this recruiting uh, season. Because, yeah, with them having a guy from, from South Carolina who knows the high school scene around here, yeah, he he's going to use his connections a lot around here. Regian Bennett from Trinity Collegiate was offered by Lehigh and Air Force. Andre Hodge from Catalba Ridge was also offered by Lehigh and Air Force. Jaden Davis from Catalba Ridge offered by Maryland. Nigel Brown from Wagner Sally was offered by Presbyterian. Zachary Davis from Denmark Olar was offered by SC State. Jay Billingsley from T.L. Hanna was offered by Campbell. Xavion Wells from Lakewood was offered by Georgia State and Western Michigan. Zach Chalmers from Newberry was offered by Indiana. Ashton Whitner had a big couple of weeks from Greenville, was offered by Indiana, Furman, Florida A&M, Western Kentucky, Coastal, and Tulane. So he's got a lot of recruits, as does Monroe Freeling from Oceanside Collegiate, he's been especially busy getting all Power 5 offers. He's going to be a force to be reckoned with at the next level. Offered by Oregon, Penn State, Michigan, Notre Dame, Vatech, and Florida State. C.J. Stokes from Hammond was offered by Middle Tennessee State and Missouri. Demetrius Watson from Fort Dorchester was offered by Virginia Tech. Carson Blacks from Nation 4 was also offered by Vautech as as well as Louisville. Jaleel Skinner from Greer was offered by UCF and Ole Miss. Xavier McLeod from Camden was offered by Georgia and Florida State. Chapman, excuse me, offered by Howard. Antonio Williams from Dutch Fork continues getting deep continues to get Power 5 offers, was offered by Florida State. Davin Jackson from Sumter was offered by Charlotte, ECU, and Syracuse. Shamonte Burgess from Lake City was offered by Howard. 
Nemo Squire from Dillon was offered by the Air Force Academy. Ryan Berger was offered by, by from Myrtle Beach was offered by Furman and UMass. And Zane Smith from North Myrtle was offered by Florida State. On the basketball court, Brandon Gardner from Gray Collegiate was offered by Murray State. Moving on over to the commitments that were made over the last couple of weeks, K.J. Scott from Greenwood committed to South Carolina, as did William Joyce from Sparenberg. Mac Gresham from Wando committed to USF. Zach Zavitsky from Southside Christian committed to Charleston Southern. Caden Hager from Catalba Ridge committed to ULM. Matthew Davis from Blacksburg committed to Gardner-Webb, as did, or excuse me, Mickey Lee from Oceanside Collegiate committed to Furman. Sam Suma from Hilton Head committed to UCLA. He's heading all the way out west. It's going to be, you know, there, there's been a few guys that have gotten offers from Pac-12 teams, but you don't see it all that often, so it's, it's a unique experience when you when you not only see the offer, but you also see them decide to go there. Adam Randall was offered by Oregon, the Myrtle Beach wide receiver, but he decided to stay to Clemson. Myrtle Beach committed to ECU. On the basketball court, Porter Stanley from Ben Lippin committed to Presbyterian. And on the baseball diamond, couple of players uh, made their commitments. Luke Robbins from Gaffney committed to Gardner-Webb, as did Andrew Moore from Gaffney. He also committed to Gardner-Webb, and Cal Herndon committed to Clemson. A couple of guys signed their names on the dotted line to go to the next level. Mary Sherry from Northeast signed to Alabama A&M. And Jeremiah Foster from Blacksburg signed to Citadel. So there are all of the commitments and offers that have been made over the last couple of weeks. A lot of a lot of recruiting news around the state of South Carolina. You know, this is is on the rise, especially in football. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun covering it for you. Uh, Moving over, have a couple of notes uh, real quick before we move on. I'll, I'll take a quick break in a little bit, and then we'll run through the state championship results and give you big recaps of uh, of what happened in the state in the state championships and in the state playoffs over the last couple of weeks here in South Carolina. First, some other n- notes. Kyle Watkins from South from uh, Carolina Forest was named the South Carolina Coaches Association 2020 in Class 5A Lower State Back of the Year. So big honor for him. And, you know, he's headed off to Wofford. He's going to be a force to be reckoned with there. And it's going to be interesting to see how the Panthers are able to replace his productivity uh, next season. But 
we said that same thing last year about Mason Garcia, and look what the Panthers did this past season. So I have faith in Coach Mark Morris that he's going to have, uh, you know, whoever he has put into uh, the starting role at quarterback next season, he's, he's going to have them ready. And he's going to have that team ready to go. On on the other side, the rivals for the Panthers, Conway, Carlton Terry, was off, was invited to the Offense-Defense National Championship, which started yesterday. So he's doing his thing out there, and good good luck to him. Antonio Williams, his the accolades and the... Uh, the praise and and the 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 offers and everything just keep on coming for him. He was invited to the 2022 Under Armour All American Game already, and he accepted. He'll be going out there for the Under Armour All American Game next season. That's going to be a lot of fun to see. He's going to be a he's going to be a fun player to watch at the next level. That's for sure. A bunch of uh, the the coaching carousel over the last few weeks has really gone into overdrive. Uh, the big news I mentioned: Coach Parks le- left Ridgeview to take the wide receiver coaching job at Charlotte. The next day, he will be replaced by Derek Howard, who moved on from Wilson. And Howard was Ridgeview's first quarterback went back when Ridgeview first first and first opened as a high school. So a special moment for him being able to go back to his alma mater and become the head football coach. But now the big question is, where do Wilson go from here? Who do they get to pick to replace Howard? And Wilson's a team that. They played fairly well last year, but certainly would like to have a much better season this year than they did last year. Lemuel Lackey is moving to South Carolina from Georgia. He's moving from Evans and taking over at Fox Creek. Jeremy West moving from South West Side. Jeff Heron returning to Camden County as their head football coach. Walt Wilson was hired by Richland Northeast as their new head football coach. Kobe Peeler has resigned as Carlton County's head football coach, so they're on the lookout for a new coach. Michael Kelly was let go by Eau Claire, so a couple of openings there for some potential uh, potential hires and, and the carousel will keep on moving. And on even on the AD side, a lot of new ADs moving around. Locally here on the Grand Strand, Hal McManus is moving on from Socacy. He took on the new AD, the AD job at Liberty High School. So now the Braves are on the lookout for a new athletic director. And Eva Greenberg was hired as a new AD at Heathwood. Uh, 
Christopher Brown has resigned as the North Charleston head basketball coach. And so North Charleston is on the lookout for a new head basketball coach now. So lots of moving pieces. Uh, the coaching carousel, especially as one season ends, it's it gets moving into overdrive. And we're right in the midst of that right now. And we'll have all the uh, news notes for you on that as we uh, as we move forward. So I'll take a quick break and come right back. We'll, I'll have uh, I'll talk about the SEHSL basketball championships. Recap all of that, all of the big games, the champions, all of that, and. Uh, and talk some baseball as well, and a few other notes when we come back right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central.
welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Sports Central. And as always, if you want to get in on all the action, 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. We're going to move and talk some SEHSL basketball playoffs and championships. We'll start over on the girls' side and run through uh, each bracket and talk about some of the big moments in each each uh, classification. And starting down at Class 1A, the big storyline of this one was Southside Christian coming in out of, out of a two-seed and being able to go on the road the entire way and getting all the way to the state championship game, came up a little short, came up short against Military Magnet, who they also had to go all the way. They were also a two-seed and also had to play on the road in each of their games before making it all the way to the state championship and then winning it all and becoming the state champions. That's pretty impressive for both of the teams to be lower seeded teams. Class 1A was definitely the uh the the land of the Cinderella for the girls. And one congratulations to Military Magnet winning winning it all. Going over to 2A on the girls side. Saluda, which a lot of people thought, you know, uh, talking with the Saluda Now uh, guys uh, back back in December, or actually back in Jan- in November, when uh, because Saluda, and I think I think they ended up backing out, if I remember correctly, but they were originally supposed to be. In the girls' beach ball classic, uh, but and and the Saluda now guys, they were saying, oh, they're they're one of the best teams in the state, and they showed it. Uh, they they managed to win the whole thing, uh, going through Brashear Military College, going through Andrew Jack and going through Blacksburg before finishing it off against Silver Bluff. Not too many upsets to speak of in 2A with a fairly straightforward uh, affair. Saluda did have to go on the road to beat Blacksburg in the semifinals. But that was... Well, it was technically a, a... a neutral site game, but still. But so congratulations to Saluda. Moving on up to 3A for the girls. Heenan won it all. That classification, they were the number one overall seed in the upper state. So not really all that surprising for them. To win that one, not not many upsets. Southside did beat Emerald. Lower Richland beat Daniel. That were both two seeds. 
but outside of that, not many, not many upsets to speak of. Pretty straightforward uh, route to the championship for Keenan and for both Keenan and Bishop England, and then Keenan eventually won it all. But now moving over to foray, probably one of the biggest upsets in definitely the biggest upset in in this playoff and probably and maybe perhaps one of the biggest upsets in South Carolina state history uh you know and and ending the streak ending the five year streak uh North Myrtle Beach beat Buford okay not really all that surprising but then being able now granted granted this was a different year and this was a different way of, you know different way of doing things so north Merrill beach had the had home court they were playing at home for that game so that gave them a bit of an advantage that they may not have had in a in a different year but they managed to knock off the five-time defending state champion North Augusta Yellow Jackets and Arlington to move on to the state championship, but they were not quite able to get over the hump of Westside. They were also the number one seed. They were the number one overall seed, and they just breathed through everyone and then won against North Myrtle to win the state championship. And they're returning all, every, just about everyone. But then again, so is North Myrtle Beach. So both both of those schools, and I'll, I'm going to ask Ian Garen about this when he comes on in, in a little over 20 minutes. But the Chiefs are in, good, in a good position uh, moving forward. The 5A girls uh, game was postponed due to COVID. Um, So that game will actually be played next week on the 20th, next Saturday. So I'll have a full uh, preview. I'll have a full preview on that next week. Uh, getting you ready for that game. But looking at the bracket uh, heading into the championship game, Clover from the upstate. Uh, the the big upset, Ridgeview being JL Mann in the first round. Uh, Gaffney beat Burns. They were also two seed. Uh, And outside of that, not not many other upsets thumped to the state championship game as did Clover. So they will next week for the state championship game in 5A girls. Moving on over to the boys' side, over on 1A. One A for the boys. 
Not as not as many uh, upsets. Was very straightforward on the boys' side in one A. Scott Sprancher was the number one overall seed. They made it all the way to the state championship, as did Southside Christian, who was the number one overall seed on the in the upper state. And Southside Christian won the state championship. And and a lot of people, I, I've seen people talk about it because Southside Christian won the football state championship, made it all the way to the championship game before losing the military magnet on the girls' side. Won the whole thing on the boys' side. They they moved down from 2A down to 1A this season, and people are saying, "Oh, they, you know, that's why because they're, you know, they're supposed to be at the higher classification." I mean, you see it all the time of schools that, you know, schools that move down don't always necessarily become world beaters. Now, granted, this year we've seen two of them. This year on the boys' side, two schools that moved down a classification did win the state championship. We'll get to the other one in just a little bit. But I don't think it's necessarily thing that yes, yes, you're going to have that a situation at times where a school is, is just maybe you know right at that cusp between a, two classifications and it's just you know they're way better in one than the other but unfortunately unfortunately you can't really do anything about that if 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 a school is too small for the one classification, then of course you're going to have to have them put into the smaller one. And if that means that they dominate, then so be it. And I mean, and the good thing about it too, is that reclassification happens every two years. So if one school, and, and this is why the, uh, this is why the proposal about uh, going based off of success in a certain sport has been brought up. Because if you're dominating in one classification, then, yeah, then they can maybe move you up in, in that sport or something like that and, and work it out to have a have a balance. But just because they're winning at the lowest classification does not change the fact of their success. But we'll talk about the other one in just a little bit as well. But before we get to that one, we'll uh, go into 2A. was fairly simple. Well, actually, it was very simple. Wade Hampton, both Wade Hampton... And Christchurch, who you know, those two were the number one overall seeds, they both made it to the championship with Christchurch winning it all over Wade Hampton. And not, not really any upsets to speak of in that one. In 3A, this is the one that I was talking about as the other one 
of the school moving down a classification and winning the championship as a result. Marlboro County, who was in Region 6-4A last year, probably the toughest region in the state as a whole, they won it all. Uh, they came in as a one seed, but Bishop England was the number one overall seed, and they and Marlboro County was able to beat them in a nail biter, sixty to fifty nine, uh, and then also beat Orangeburg Wilkinson in a nail biter before moving on to the state championship and beating Seneca who was the the number two the number two overall uh seed in the upper state. So congratulations to the Bulldogs. Uh they they had a great season and you know, sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens where a a a school in in three you know in four a moves down to three a or two a moves down to one a and and you get better as a result. But you don't know. You never. You don't really know. You don't know if Marlboro County, because they had a very good team last year. They were one of the top teams in the state last year in four a. So you don't know if they would have potentially been in that spot anyway in four a. Moving on to 4A, point one at all, beating Hilton Head, who Hilton Head had a great run, starting it off, beating North Merrill Beach in a nail in nail biting fashion, 37-36 in the first round. Deep Myrtle had to go through the Regents 4A gauntlet, beat North Merrill Beach in the first round, Merrill Beach in the second. And Hartsville in the third in the semis, and then did end up losing to South Point in the state championship game, fifty-two to fifty. But you know, just being able to beat all three of those schools, especially when you know Hilton had a good team. Don't get me wrong, but they're not exactly in the strongest of regions, and having go through the gauntlet of the the most dominant region is a very impressive feat for for the Seahawks. They'll probably be back. I could see them being back in that position again next season. But it's it we'll we'll have to wait and see on that. Going up to five A Dorman was trying to five P which is not something that has been done very often. They were trying to tie the consecutive state championship record that hasn't been done in, you know, in over half a century. And that's impressive. So they were trying to be the only team in, in modern era to do it. And they came up one game short. They were running through the upper state, no problem. Beat Clover, beat Ridgeview, and beat Riverside. But then they came up against River Bluff. And what's even crazier is that River Bluff was a two seed. And they managed to pull off the two upsets. 
Rochester, who was considered one of the better teams in the state, beat Carolina Forest, who was considered one of the better teams in the state, and beat Dutch Fork, and then manages to beat Dorman to win the state championship. Now, I don't know which one's bigger. This is an interesting question, and I would love to get people's thoughts on this. Which one is the bigger upset? Now, you could you could talk about it in a number of different ways, but which one's the bigger upset? North Merrill Beach beating North Augusta and stopping the streak, or River Bluff being Dorman in the state championship game? I may have to change my opinion. I may have to change my uh, my initial statement. That's actually the bigger upset because it happened in the state championship game. Dorman was right there, and River Bluff took it away. So I think you have to say that that's probably the bigger upset between the two. But, so, before I take a quick break, we'll, a few other quick notes, uh, Baseball season has started, and already the Florence teams have started to uh, show what they're made of. Florence, the both of the Florence teams have started off the season very, very strong. West Florence has thrown two no hitters ready to start off the season and South Florence throw a no-hitter yesterday as well and so congratulations to all of the pitchers who threw no-hitters and that's uh, you know you, you don't see that very often you don't see that uh you don't see no hitters, especially on the high school level. You don't see no hitters being thrown very often. So, so, so to see three in just a matter of a couple of days, and amongst just you know two teams that are just down the road from each other, and so both of those teams are going to be a force to be reckoned with early on this season and throughout the season. Again, like I said, Region Six Four A probably the toughest region in the state because, you know, North Merrill Beach is considered one of the best teams in the state with their pitching staff and especially their two big-time starters, Billy Barlow and Cam Freeman, although they struggled last night against St. James. They lost 4-3. to the, the bigger thing... The pitching isn't the problem, although there have been some issues. Now, granted, I only got to see one game last year because of COVID. But last year, the one game that we did do, Cam Freeman was having some command issues. Now, he's been working on it all all offseason. And he's probably been playing that game in his head time and time again, but but 
that's going to be something the pitching staff can only do so much if the offense isn't isn't getting it done. And the starters can only do so much. You know, you've seen it time and time again in, in, in the majors. A starting pitcher can be dominant. Then the relievers, then the bullpen blows it for him. And that's, uh, that's something to, you know, keep an eye on. Uh, Some other uh, games that happened over the last uh, couple of, well, last night, rather, or yesterday and last night. Myrtle Beach beat Myrtle Beach beat Shaw 10-6. Aner beat Lake City 3-2. South Florence beat Darlington 3-2. West Florence beat East Clarendon 3-2. Andrews beat Lamar Nine to one, and Hartsville beat Carolina Forest three to nothing. The Coastal Invitational Tournament in Waccamaw is happening uh, this week, this weekend, and a bunch of games, a bunch of good games amongst Grand Strand and PD teams going on uh, there over the next couple of days, and then. Norrell Beach has their first home game on the 16th. So baseball season in full swing now uh, for all teams in the state of South Carolina. That's when one season ends, another season's right around the corner, and we'll have all the the latest on the baseball season for you right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central as we transition from winter to spring. Some other uh, notes real quick before I take a quick break. North-South All-Star Game rosters were announced earlier this week. And here are the players for those teams. Looking at first, looking at girls' roster. For the North team, it'll be Kalisha Hill from Saluda, Kaasia Anderson from Chapman, Sincere Hicks from Daniel, Mallory Bruce from Travelers Rest, Tabby Littlefield from Greer. Layla Acox from Ridgeview, Alicia Wade from Clover, Janae Haygood from JL Mann, Nyjah Gilliam, Gilliam from Burns, Amora Kate Smith from Gaffney, Brooke Bailey from Woodruff, Janelle Carter from Clover, and Malaysia Etheridge from Westwood. On the South roster, it'll be Lakin Cox, Janlea Nichols from Mullins, Vanessa Blake from Ashley Ridge, Jaya Williams from Bishop England, Zani Thompson from Wilbur, K. 
Kayla Washington from Wilson, Lucy Shepard from Somerville, Cambria Parker from Scotts Branch, Aja Lester from Marion, Shania Davis from Crestwood, Mackenzie Cochran from St. James, Deviana Hatchell from Mer- North Merrill Beach, Kaylin Glover from Silver Bluff, and Jayla Jamison from Airport. On the boys' side, the North team will be James Loburn from T.L. Hannah, Ian Thompson from Southside Christian, Josh Owens from Wren, Janile Janile Pittman from Lancaster, Omadion Tinsley from Lancaster as well, Robert McRae from AC Flora, Jalen Brizel from Dorman, Darian Bookman from Mid-Carolina, Alexi Aturbe from Riverside, Davion Thomas from Ridgewood, Tyler Rice from Ridgewood as well, Timothy Barnes from Gray Collegiate, John Butler Jr. from Christchurch, Chase McDuffie from Gray Collegiate, and Devario Shepard from Gray here. On the south side, it'll be Russell Felton Jr. from Aiken, Cesar Edwards from Hartsville, Miles Jenkins from River Bluff, Bailey Wiseman from James Island, Dravion Scott from Marlborough County, Marshall Myers from Shiraw, Aiden Hickman from Murrow Beach, Malachi Reeves from River Bluff, Quez Lewis from Johnsonville, Colin Rodriguez from North Augusta, Yuturi Bolton from Goose Creek, Daniel Brooks from Bishop England, Corbin Pack from Carolina Forest, Sean Jones from Mesmer from Lexington. So, bunch of good names on that list, and that game will actually be played this year, so that'd be a fun one to watch. Come right back, I'll have uh, have Ian Guerin joining me at the top of the air from my news to talk about a bunch of things around the world of sports here on the Grand Strand, only here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. Where it began I can't begin to know it But then I know it's growing strong Wasn't the spring And spring became the summer Who'd have believed you'd come along Hands Touching hands Reaching out Touching me Touching you
your night And it don't seem so lonely We fill it up with only two And when I hurt Hurting runs off my shoulder How can I hurt when holding you Warm Touching warm Reaching out Touching me Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. And as we await Ian Garen to join us, I've got some breaking news for you guys right now. Cam Newton and the Patriots have reached an agreement on a one-year deal, according to the Boston Globe. And Cam Newton experiment will continue at least for another year in New England. It'll be Interesting to see if they decide to have him be the starter. I know they had issues last year, and they decided to bring in Jared Stidham in a couple of times towards the end of the year. And so is this a situation where, you know, is this a situation where him being insurance for Stidham? Are they still going to use Cam as their starting quarterback? What is the status of the quarterback position in New England? Especially after how last season ended for for the Patriots. I'm sure Bill Belichick does not like losing. And especially after Tom Brady won the Super Bowl on his own. And you, if you guys listened to the show a few, you know, a while back, right after the Super Bowl, which was actually the last time I was on, the, my thought on the matter is that Brady proved that he did not need Belichick. Belichick needed Brady a lot more than Brady needed Belichick. And as a result, 
you you see what happened. You you see you saw what happened. You saw that you know Brady can win with with another coach, even if they had some problems. And I'll acknowledge that. I'll acknowledge that they they had some problems to an extent, but they had a respect for each other. And so now now Belichick now granted, and and I'm sure I'm sure Belichick would not make this use this as an excuse at all. And I don't think it is an excuse, but. To play devil's advocate, the Patriots did have the most amount of players of any team in the NFL opt out. Most players opt out out of any team in the NFL. And while it wasn't anyone super important, that takes a hit. That puts a strain on your team. Especially in a game in football where you rely on your backups a lot. You rely on your uh, your unsung heroes a lot more in football than you would in, in other sports. So Belichick and the Patriots must see something in Cam, even after what happened last year in order for them to bring him back. So, you know, hopefully for Patriots fans and hopefully for Belichick, especially in his legacy, he can get Cam on the right track and and see and, and get things moving in the right direction to where, you know, they, they, they get... Uh, they they get things moving. They they get things starting to move in the right direction and and the Patriots can get back to their winning ways. That's all that that's all Patriots fans can really hope for at this point. Yeah, you know, they I'm sure they're reeling big time from Brady know, moving on and and winning with a different franchise. And they're going to be out to win this season. Is Cam the man able to do it? I don't don't know. I don't know how much he has left in the tank. And like I said, they weren't, the Patriots were not at full strength this season. So that does play a factor you you would have to imagine that that will play that that is going to play a factor but would it play enough of a factor to where it's it's not going to uh is it going to play enough of a factor to where you're just not going to uh, that he's going to be able to get the get the ship righted or not? We'll see. 
it'll be interesting to see how how it turns out with with the Patriots, but that's uh some big news. Kind of, I'm a little surprised personally that Cam uh that they decided to bring Cam back for another season. Maybe they they probably know more. I'll I'll le- I'll put enough faith in in Belichick to know that never underestimate him. So maybe he knows a little more than we do. But in good morning. Morning, Brandon. How are you? Bring me on to talk about Cam Newton. <laughs> no, no, just uh, just a little. Uh, since it popped up on the, uh, I, I saw it pop up. I just thought I'd break news while you, while I was waiting for you to uh, join me this morning. Uh, first off, I wanted to get your, I wanted to get uh, your, your thoughts and and your experience because today is the anniversary of you know the day the. Uh, the sports world stopped. Uh, what, where were, like, what were you doing this time last year, and what were your thoughts as the the, the names just keep on dropping and dropping, and the leagues just kept on dropping like flies? Yeah, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, it was either yesterday or today. I mean, obviously, a lot of these days run together, but well, um, it, was, it was yesterday. You know, one of the, it was yesterday well, the, that the NBA yeah, uh, initial, canceled, and then all the all the uh, tournaments canceled today, and the NHL and all that. Right, and and like I said, it, it was either yesterday or today. I, I wrote a story, um, you know, one year ago that was, you know, very um, kind of like a this is coming uh, type deal. Like we, you know, the high school league had, had all these meetings that where they they didn't really have a lot of production out of them like nothing really happened but there was a lot of build up to the meeting and one of those first real public meetings about this topic was you know we're going to take like four or five days and then make another decision and kind of everybody was sitting on pins and needles and just just waiting to be told like okay now we're done um and that was you know that kind of feeling in your gut is what I remember because it, it just sucked. I mean, it was, it was awful for, for everybody and I'm not downplaying the overall COVID uh, realities, but just in the, just in the athletics realm, I mean, the, the, the players and the coaches, I mean, you know, I covered the Myrtle beach boys basketball team in a state championship game. And like, we all knew, like we, we, a bunch of us were talking at that game. I mean, we weren't wearing masks or anything like that yet, but we were all talking at that game, like, God, how many more of these do we have left? You know, and, and as it turned out for me, none. Um, you yeah. know, that was the last that was the last game I covered um, for the 2019-2020 calendar year. And, um, you know, until football popped up, I, you know, that, that was a, just about the longest stretch I've gone without covering a game um, in, in my life since I started doing this, which, you know, was a couple decades worth. So, um that's that's what I remember. Yeah, I think my my most surreal moment was, you know, like you said, the SEHSL kind of after everything else shut down, they kind of they held off for a few days and were like, oh, we'll we'll make a decision on Monday. And that Friday, North Merrill Beach had a baseball game 
against Wilson, and I, I called that game, and we were saying on the air, we were like, this is probably the only game we're going to do because we knew the writing was on the wall, and that was probably the most surreal game I've ever done uh, as a broadcaster. Mo- moving on to this, this year and this year's uh, state championship uh, tournament for the basketball uh, for basketball. What first? What were your overall thoughts on how the, the whole process went and eight and eight and all of that? Well, if you're asking me about you know scaling back the playoffs and and all that, I mean I I think it was it, it definitely had more of a a wham bam feel to it, right? I mean, we, you know, yeah. we shaved off a round, we shaved off, you know, three or four days, depending on, you know, which classification you were talking about. Um, you know, I wrote a column about this that came out on Monday and, um, you know, obviously I don't think anybody would be in favor of, you know, the, the 16 team classification playoffs um, moving forward. But I think what it did do was kind of shed some light on, um you know, what the 32 team fields have been like, um, you know, I, I think we either need to find the healthy medium um, between 32 and 16, which is a very obvious 24 teams per class, or I think we just need to open it up and have every single team in the state playing the playoff. Um, you know, and I think whichever, you know, whichever direction you go, I think you need to have a, a true playoff selection committee that's in charge of seating and at large bids and, you know, I think we would need to get rid of some of these, you know, predetermined brackets that the high school league and the classifications have been relying on too long. Um, you know, I think we need to, you know, kind of maybe look at dissolving this upper state, lower state, um, you know, boundary line and maybe use it more of just, a, you know, how we set the bracket up as opposed to, you know, let's lock everybody into those. Um, you know, we, we've we've learned – you know, since that, that feeling in our gut a year ago that we can adjust and we can change on the fly and, you know, we can keep things happening. But but we've also seen, you know, the byproduct of what happens when we do change. And we see glimpses of other things that we like. And, you know, look, the, the playoffs in this state, outside of the storylines based on the teams, the actual uh, implication or, you know, implementation of the playoffs has gotten really stale, you know, I've, I've done this for so long, you know, and I can look at a bracket and I can be like, okay, maybe these guys are going to play. But, but then I look at it and I'm like, okay, these guys are going to play again in the playoffs. You know, these guys are going to go down to Hilton Head. These guys are going to go to North Augusta or Aiken, or, you know, this team has to go to Dutch Fork. You know, it, it's just, you know, I, I think, you know, for the coaches, it's getting stale too, especially the ones that have been around a while, you know, but more importantly, I think we can find a system and I think we've proved that we can adjust, you know, I think, I think maybe now is the time to do it, you know, really look at the, you know, especially in basketball, you know, there are a lot of States where every team in the state goes to the playoffs. It just depends on where they play. And some of them get really bad draws because there's not very good teams and that's okay. But at least there's a finality to the season, you know, Um, you know, if we're going to let two thirds of our teams into the playoffs, why not, you know, let them all in or just cut it down to half. You know, let's make it a real playoff. I, I know you said in your article that you talked to a lot of coaches, you know, on the football side and basketball when it comes to the, the format and what they think. What has the consensus been on what 
the coaches think should be done moving forward? Well, it's it's twofold. The the basketball coaches, um, by and large, are are of the you know let's let's get everybody in. Um, the the basketball coaches that I talk to think that it's a real disservice to um, you know have the number of teams that they have in because what it leads to are those you know like let's take. Myrtle Beach is a good example this year. The Myrtle Beach boys team is a good example. Um, first round, they had to go over to the Aiken area um, and, and play a first-round game, and they ended up winning. Well, then three days later, they had to turn around and drive to Hilton Head. So they spend, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 11 or 12 hours on a bus in the span of three days to play two road playoff games. You know, and so like if you're looking at that kind of as your your um, kind of your your base for the the argument, well, if you had all the teams in the state end, then they could set up you know pairings and things like that where trips like that would be fewer you know fewer between because you would have more teams involved. I mean, if you had you know all of the class four A teams in the state, all 44 of them, I believe it is, then you could pair you know first round opponents you know, more regionally, you know, I'm not saying in, inside their actual regions, but, you know, by proximity um, where those trips, you know, you know, it'd be an hour, you know, maybe an hour and a half on a bus, not four to get to a game, you know, and then four home and, and that kind of thing. When you're talking about the football coaches, the football coaches are kind of, I think a lot of them are over, you know, these, these first round dumpings, at least the, at least the coaches that, you know, we, we hear about, um, yeah. you know, making, you know, the second or third round every year, you know, they they don't want to play these, you know, 63 to six first round games anymore. Yeah. And they, you know, even if they're home, you know, and I think football is a little different because it is such a, a revenue generating thing that, that the coaches also see that, you know, they know that, you know, a home playoff game, you know, even if they're only getting half the gate and whatever is still going to bring them a decent amount of money. Um, you know, I don't think that they want all of them in, but basketball, definitely they, they want every, you know, I think if you asked every basketball coach in the state, I think a vast majority of them would say we need a fully inclusive playoff system. So with with what you were saying, especially for basketball with, with the travel, I'm assuming that the coaches would want to do what you were talking about, cutting, like removing the upper state and lower state classification, because looking at, let's take 4A, for example, you know, you've got region six up here, but then both region five and region seven, the only two other lower state regions, no matter who you're playing, you have to go cross state. So how would that, how would that work? You know, in terms of you, no matter who you who no matter who you're playing outside of your region, at least in 4A, at least the schools that I know of that I focus on when I'm covering games, you're traveling, you know, a good, you know, two three hours no matter what. Yeah, and that's where the the kind of the 4A distinction is kind of what started another conversation between a handful of us, you know, several years ago where we started talking about how could we create a pod system that would um, you know, kind of alleviate that because you're right. The, especially the, the PD grand strand four a region, you know, even back when they had four classifications and they were three, this is the absolute Island. 
you know, you know, Hilton Head kind of has that a little bit, but the difference is Hilton Head's a lot closer to 95, so they can mm-hmm. get in and out a little easier. Um, you know, but with Myrtle Beach, North Myrtle, you know, now West Florence, South Florence, Wilson, Darlington, Hartsville, that, that seventeen classification, which is part of the reason why it is seven teams, is because they are so, you know, secluded, especially over yeah. here with Myrtle and North Myrtle. Um, you know, what they a few of us were talking about was, you know, how could we do this where it's more of like a, a um you know, more of a you know, get everybody together type deal for the playoffs. And, you know, kind of what a few of us had talked about was you know, have a system where you have, you know, a handful of neutral sites around the state and make it like almost like the the first and second rounds of the NCAA basketball tournament, you know, where everybody comes in, you know, if you, you drive in that morning and you lose, you you turn around and drive home and maybe it's an, maybe it's an hour and a half on the bus. If you win, then you get a hotel, you know, or your school can choose to, to drive back and forth, you know, but, but say that's at a, you know, one of the bigger high schools, you know, which there are, you know, a few of them, you know, especially, you know, even just in, in our area, you know, there's um, small colleges and things like that where mm-hmm. they, they could host an event like that, um, you know, where everybody gets a little bit of money, but everybody's in the same place. You know, obviously COVID protocols, you know, would make that a little bit more difficult, yeah. but we're always not, you know, we're not always going to be in that. Um, yeah. And this discussion started long before we even had heard of, you know, COVID-19. So, right. You know, but if you get all those people in the same place, you get kind of more of a real tournament environment. Um, you know, the amount of money that they're bringing from ticket sales. You know, I had a conversation with somebody on Twitter this week about that. You know, if a, if a home site was given 50 cents off, a, off of every ticket that was sold and they were given the concessions, which most of the time goes to the booster club. You know, I think a lot of, I think a lot of schools would be like, they, they'd be raising their hands real quick. Like, yeah, let's do that. You're going to bring eight high school basketball teams into my gym, you know, they're going to play six basketball games, um, you know, whatever, over the course of a few days. You know, I, I think that they would, I think they would gladly do that. You know, I think that, you know, obviously that would take a lot of maneuvering. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who aren't going to want to put forth that effort. You know, I think when you're talking about basketball, you know, a lot of people, you know, it's kind of got that, you know, that, um, you know, that abandoned feel a lot of times mm-hmm. after, considering football but yeah. when you're talking about playing two or three playoff games in the span of a week you know I think it would you know I think it would be you know maybe something worth really considering because if you can get everybody in the same joint you know I think the excitement level would be huge I think it would be a, a huge boon for basketball which I think is something we desperately need in South Carolina because there is some really good basketball yeah. being played here you yeah. know I think I think teams are for the most part, fairly evenly matched. You know, I think it leads to an excitement. You know, we don't need to have 50 Division One prospects coming out of the state every year to create excitement. You know, the game is supposed to be the, the exciting part of it. I think that, you know, kind of going to those pod systems would help. With all of this talk, especially with the coaches talking about it, and I'm assuming some of the ADs and principals and region directors and all of that, is there any chance of this actually happening or is it going to be a situation where the SEHSL is just going to go to what they know? Like, have you heard anything about people thinking of any of these things actually moving forward? Yeah, there, therein lies the problem. <laughs> you know, I, 
you know, uh, look, it's it's really easy to say the high school league, the high school league, the high school league. You know, if if any classification in the state, because it doesn't need to be across the board, it doesn't need to be all five classifications. If 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 any, you know, if class four A or class five A and said, you know what, we're we're changing, we're we're going to change how we do this. This is what we're going to do. If the, those principals and the ads who are the members of you know that classifications board said, you know what. We're gonna we're gonna do this with our basketball. The high school league pretty much just takes it and, and says, okay, to do this. You know, the, the high school league isn't the one crafting these constitutions. It's the individual classification boards. You know, the high school league is the enforcers. You know, they're not they're not the you know the people making most of the making you know the wheels turn. Um, but again, getting. Getting all of our classifications, principals, and ADs on board and, and getting a vast majority of them to agree on something is very difficult, which is why change has been so hard in this state. You know, they, they've been using the same bracket system since long before I got here. Um, you know, we've seen very few variations over the years. You know, Class 2A, you know, a few years ago went to, you know, for football, went to split championships. And like everybody was just like, oh wow, everybody gets into the playoffs, everybody gets a medal, you know. And it didn't last very long. And you know, then you know, you see it in Class One A because of the amount of teams involved, where they have buys and stuff like that that a lot of the other, you know, a lot of the other classifications don't use, you know. But but those are the those are the anomalies, you know. I, I think when push comes to shove, I think a lot of people just settle for what we have because it's what we've always done and because it doesn't take a lot of thought. There's no imagination to it. There's no, you know, let's put 10 people in a room and come up with a really great idea. Those, those things just don't seem like they happen very often. And it's why when we do get those variations that everybody's kind of like, whoa. And it's not because of that the idea was, you know, that mind blowing. It's because there was change. And, you know, I think if we're going to talk about, you know, a statewide, you know, um, impact that is going to, you know, supposed to be, be benefiting kids and supposed to be adding to their excitement level, you know, right now is the time to do it. You know, right now is the time to, you know, really think about that. And like, you know, we, we were, we're getting ready for a spring sports season with a whole bunch of kids who didn't get a spring sports season last year. You know, they're so happy to be playing, you know, they don't, you know, they don't care that only half of half as many as normal are making the playoffs. But if, if the goal here is to make high school sports, to get the most out of it for, for as many people as humanly possible, then, then sometimes that takes some imagination. And, and that's what I would like to see going forward. I'd like to see us, you know, say, you know, we've had this amazingly difficult year. You know, we've, we've all gone through our own trials, you know, with, with the coronavirus you know, let's, let's see what we can, let's, let's put the effort in to, to try to make the most of every moment going forward and, and, and make high school sports as, as enjoyable as humanly possible. So if you, if you had a uh, vote on it, what would your ideal, what do you think is the best option uh, in terms of what the format should be moving forward? For which sport? Because I have different opinions on all of them. Well, let's let's go for both football and basketball. Tell me separately for football and basketball. 
Yeah, I think football, I think we need to abandon the predetermined um, seating that we've been using. Um, I'm, I'm fine with the two-thirds of the teams because, let's be honest, there's there's a lot of 0-10 football teams that, that they're just ready for the season to be over, and they're not interested in, you know, dropping money on, on two buses, getting kids halfway across the state or, or even the whole way across the state. You know, so that two-thirds model is okay. Um, you know, because I also do like five rounds of playoffs for football. You know, I think that that is a, a really good measuring stick. It leaves just enough wiggle room where you're going to get a few upsets. You know, maybe you'll get a few um, Cinderella stories mixed in there. You'll, you'll have a, a four seed beat, you know, one. You know, the difference with football is I think we need to get rid of those predetermined um, seedings where we don't know going into the year that the champion of region seven is going to be a number one seed um, that gets to host three playoff games, because sometimes the, you know, the best team in region seven is not as good as the third best team in region six. And I'm just throwing out random regions here. It doesn't yeah. mean anything, yeah. you know, but, you know, I think we need to have a, a true playoff committee that is determining the seedings, um, you know, where, where if you win a region, obviously you can get a number one seed, but we're not just going to give you the best, um, the best playoff spot you know I think that's the way you tinker with football you know and I think that's actually fairly easy because we have so many people paying attention to football you know year round you know getting a committee together from the six pockets of the state would not be that difficult where they could look at the teams they could you know see the results and they could kind of craft something that says okay we're going to take you know three hours you know, two days before the playoff brackets are going to release, we're going to do a Zoom meeting, and we're, this is what we're going to, this is how we're going to figure it out because they already know who's in the playoffs. Um, yeah. You know, for basketball, you know, again, if I if I could wave a magic wand, you know, in an ideal world, again, I'm putting everybody in. You know, I think that, you know, we can create that pod system, you know, where you, you got everybody within, you know, two hours of their home base. You know, you put them. You know, you put them in the gym. You, you you have two really really good days of basketball, and then you reset. You do the you know quarterfinals the next week, and then you could have the you know the state finals. You could utilize some buys in the first round to make it work out, since it's not you know a 64 team event. Um, you know, so I, I think that's what I would do with basketball. In the meantime, I think you know because that is kind of it's not really so plausible right now. It just doesn't feel like we're, we're that close to something like that. I do think we need to go to 24, you know, and I, I think the 24 would be a good stop gap to determine, well, you know, do that for two years. Let's see how that works. Let's see how everybody likes it. And then, and then go from there. Um, you know, the one holdover from, you know, what I think they should do with football is I do really think that they need a, a true at large committee, I think that they need people who are analyzing basketball throughout the whole season. So again, we're not just sticking with, okay, region seven is going to have three home games. Region six is going to go on the road in the second round. You know, I think that's, I think that's necessary because that proves it like, Hey, we're not just doing the easiest, you know, path forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's going to be interesting to see if, if anything does happen, like you've said, you know, a lot of times they just stick to what they know. So we, we can have all these talks all we want, but, you know, when push comes to shove, oftentimes they, they just, you know, okay, we're just going to either go back to what we've done in the past or we're just going to stick with the 16 teams. Mo- moving uh, forward to the spring. I, I, will say, I will say, Brandon, real quick, if you don't mind, I, yeah. I, I, 
don't I don't believe that 16 is going to happen. You know, really? I, I I think I no no I I don't believe that they're sticking with 16. I um, especially in basketball, I don't think that they're I don't even think that you know probably 15 20 percent of the coaches and ads would would be in favor of that moving forward. You know, I I think that they're going to stick with you know the 32, and you know just again because kind of like what you just said, that's what we have done. Yeah. You know, and it's it's easy just to go back to that formula, you know, especially next year, you know, when they're going to try to get, you know, make sure that, you know, more teams are rewarded. You know, that, that column that I wrote was based on conversations that I've had because of the high school league's decision to, to ask for feedback, you know, but I, I think it's, I, I don't want to call it a dead issue because, you know, I, I do think that there will be some conversation about it, but I don't think it's going to get anywhere. You know, I don't think any, you know, people need to be as worked up as they were a couple of weeks ago when I wrote that story. And then all of a sudden my phone's blowing up for, for three days straight. <laughs> well, I, I doubt it would happen, but, and because you were saying that the, the football coaches are in a different mind space than the basketball coaches. Could we theoretically see two different formats for each sport? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've already got that. I mean, look at baseball. I mean, baseball is a, you know, two separate double elimination tournaments and, you know, for, for, you know, you have your districts and then, and then your, you know, lower state rounds. I mean, we, they could do that in a heartbeat. There's no reason why, you know, football playoffs need to be bracketed the same exact way as, as basketball. And in fact, you know, from my understanding you know, South Carolina is one of the few states that does it like that. You know, they, they have, you know, in other states you have, you know, regionals and sectionals and, you know, all these different tiers. And, you know, it's not just a, a straight line, you know, um, bracket like it is here um, for both sports. You know, football is, you know, obviously football is king, but, you know, football is kind of, you know, you're playing one game a week. You know, it's five or six weeks, you know, you go do your thing. Basketball is, is over in two weeks. You know, it's very, uh, you know, it's very quick, you know, and all that, but that also gives you some wiggle room, you know, and and the people are like, Oh, you know, if you expand it, it might bleed into the spring sports. Like, well, so what? I mean, football bleeds into basketball and nobody, you know, nobody loses their mind about that. I mean, you know, we've got teams, you know, even just around here, who, you know, don't schedule Thanksgiving tournaments in basketball because they know that their football players may not be, you know, on the basketball court yet, you know? So, you know, that's just kind of, you know, something I deal with, but, you know, you go to a, you know, something with basketball where everybody, you know, every team in the state gets in, I don't think you're going to, you know, I don't think it's going to be this huge blow to the the spring sports coaches um, that, that they wouldn't appreciate you know, because their kids are competing, you know, every coach in the country is now, you know, you know, screaming about, oh, you know, we want guys that are playing multiple sports, you know, all that. So, you know, I think the excitement level that it would bring for basketball and, and bring to schools and, you know, everything else, I think would be more, more than worth any potential headache. Um, but going back to your, you know, original question, I mean, I, I think that, you know, the fact that they have, you know, the formats between football and basketball have been married for so long. I, I think that that's something really, really worth considering, you know, getting away from because football and basketball have different needs. And, you know, I think the the moment that, 
you know, real changes enacted to, you know, foster what each sport really does need, I think is when you're going to have, uh, you know, a reward system that, that feels more right for each sport. Mo- moving forward since, you know, since you brought it up, moving forward into baseball season, who are some of the teams that you would see in the area? Who are the teams to really keep an eye on in the area for the season? Oh, boy. I got to tell you that this, this baseball season uh, in Horry County, is uh, it's it's going to be fierce. Um, mm-hmm. If this was a typical year um, where the top four seeds from every region were getting a you know going to the playoffs, I would feel comfortable right now telling you that eight of the nine and possibly all nine teams would make the postseason. Um, there are really evenly matched uh, teams around here. Um, the, the teams in their regions are very evenly matched. Um, you know, it's it's going to be a good one. Um, I like how the region uh, schedules are set up where, you know, like in 5A, you know, around here, they're, they're doing three-game uh, sets. They play them Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You know, you're going to know immediately, you know, who – you know, who won, uh, you know, who, who has a tiebreaker over another team because they won two of, you know, at least two of three games, um, you know, but when you're talking about the specific teams in the area, you know, obviously St. James, um, you know, they uh, last night in Waccamaw's tournament beat North Myrtle Beach, uh, you know, who had Billy Barlow throwing, um, you know, so that was a, a matchup of a top 10 team in, in 5A beating a top 10 team in 4A. Um, you know, you've also got Myrtle Beach. You know, they've they've got some, you know, really good arms. Um, you know, they've got guys who have been playing together a while. Um, you know, Green Sea Floyds. You know, obviously they're one A, and a lot of people closer to the coast don't maybe pay attention to them. But that's a team that can make a really good postseason run. Um, Ainer is always going to be good for, you know, a, a playoff win or two. You know, at minimum if they don't make a run like they did a few years back, um, you know, Carolina forest, Conway, Socasty, you know, these are, these are all teams that, you know, you may see them, you know, really surprise somebody, but if you ask their coaches, it wouldn't be that big of a surprise because they know what, what they have in the tank. You know, I sent out this big questionnaire to all of our area coaches, you know, yesterday and, and the responses back and the enthusiasm, you know, a lot of it is built off of, you know, the fact that they didn't have a 2020 season, you know, but they also know that, you know, those kids, they've, they've got a lot of talent. Um, you know, I would, I would love to see, you know, in, in, a, in a theoretical world where, you know, we, this year was, you know, fully open, you know, playoff wise, you know, I understand why they can't do it, but yeah. just because of the potential, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, you know, using hyperbole here or anything. I mean, I, I really, if this was a full playoff year and all nine of the Horry County teams made the playoffs, it, it would not have shocked me. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a good season. It's going to be a fun baseball season to, to watch and, and to call. So uh, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Thanks for joining me in. And uh, you, are you going to go out to Waccamaw tonight? Or this afternoon? No, 
No, my my schedule is jammed up this weekend. My um, I will be at St. James on Wednesday, Conway and St. James. I'll be there for the middle game, um, and that'll be a good one because uh, Ethan Salek from St. James, and who's committed to Coastal Carolina, will be you know pitching. And, and look, Conway's got a kid who you know has been committed to Ole Miss for I think you know two years now. Um, you know they've they've they they're one of those teams. Conway's one of those teams where. You know, don't be surprised if, if all of a sudden it's it's them in St. James. You know, at the at the end of the pack. You know, in that region. So, you know, I, I think it's you know it's it's kind of neat because you're you're seeing two really good 5A teams and programs that have you know typically um, been pretty good, and it's the first region slate of the year. Um, you know, for for both of them. So, you know, the, look the Waccamaw tournament, the IP Classic. You know. Um, some of these other tournaments around the state, there, there, there are glimpses, and they're they're really good, really good, um, you know, kind of scene setters. But but the real fun is going to start next week. Yes, it will, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun to to see what these teams do, especially after you know they've been waiting for a year now to get back out there and to be able to show show everyone what they can do. Thanks a lot for joining me in, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Absolutely, Brandon. I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Yep, you too. Talk to you later. So once again, that was Ian Garen from Maori News. Always fun talking to him about all things around the Grand Strand, and you know he brought a lot of good, up a lot of good points. It'll be very interesting to see how things go with the uh, playoff system and all of that. Over the next over the next couple of months, when the SEHSL meets and all of that, um, so lot, lots of discussion points, and we're in baseball season, and like I said, not just here on the Grand Strand, but like I mentioned, you know, the Florence team starting to play very well. Uh, they're you know a few no hitters amongst them. So lots of fun things to be looking forward to uh, in the baseball season. I'll take a quick break and then come right back and wrap things up right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. Hey, yo, you ready? Let's do it.
Say I push it down with the Harlem heat. All of a sudden, got a problem with me. Black, what happened? They running around acting like the black don't care eat. And you know what? For some strange reason, I'm off of this medication, feeling deranged, needing for y'all to put the word out. We ain't leaving. We trying to be rich before we all stop breathing. Therefore, we kind of hustle lame. Stay laying down our muscle game. Still turn your dreams to flame. You got the wire? If not, I ain't saying no name. You soon expire. No pain. I feel remorse and subconscious. Me and Diddy are first race of horses with the big twin valve exhausted. On the cover of your vibe, double like sounds and sauce. Go where back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central and with about 15 minutes, a little under 15 minutes left to uh, go in the show, wrapping things up. Got a big breaking news story to break to you guys right here as we wrap things up. Virginia out of the ACC tournament due to COVID-related issues. Georgia Tech moving on to the title game and that, that right there, sends big ripple into the potential tournament selection committee and all of that. Because Virginia, Virginia was definitely going to get in the tournament no matter what. But now that leaves up leaves the potential. Now, Florida State, if they win over North Carolina and they win the the ACC tournament, then they get in no matter what. And, and Virginia gets in. It, it, that, it wouldn't affect much. But if North Carolina, or especially if Virginia Tech goes on to win, or excuse me, Georgia Tech, if Georgia Tech goes on to win the whole thing, that may send some ripples in terms of the bracket and who gets in. So a lot of question marks 
and a, a lot of question marks and a lot of different scenarios now when it comes to all this. You know, the the Duke one, yes, they they lost the chance of potentially making a run to get into the tournament, and they they lose their streak. But they were still, they were, you know, they weren't anywhere close to making it. Or they weren't all that close. They had to make a big run in order to make it. Virginia, on the other hand, they could have easily won the ACC tournament. I, I would have to say they were the odds-on favorite to win the ACC tournament. So, you know, may, maybe Florida State. Maybe, maybe. But I would have picked Virginia over Florida State. And so, I mean, hell, I was picking North Carolina over Florida State earlier. So, this sends a big ripple into the college basketball world. And on top of that, the my big question when it comes to this, because all the other teams that have been hit by this more than likely aren't going to make the NCAA tournament. Duke definitely is, isn't. You know, North Carolina A and T. They, I mean, they could have had a chance of winning the the MIAC, but that would have been the only way they would have gotten into the tournament. They're not getting in as an at large, so so they're out. Their season's done. So this is the only one that they would have been getting into the tournament regardless. But the question I have now is the the tournament starts in a week. The tournament starts in a week. If you get COVID, isn't that the rule? And if it is, does that mean that Virginia is now eliminated from the tournament? If that's the case, that sends a big ripple effect throughout this whole thing. We we knew, and, and there have been, it, it's been a very strange year when it's come to this. There have been some things that has been smooth sailing, no problems, and, you know, maybe a cancellation here and there, but for the most part, nothing. You know, let, let's look let looking at both pro and 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 local sports and and I'll 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 put college in there as well you know baseball when they came back they had those issues in the beginning and a lot of people were worried are they coming back too soon but then it kind of died down and they were able to get through the rest of the season no problems. They they didn't have any problems during the postseason. College football. They had problems throughout the season here and there. Some bigger than others. But they were able to get through the season. And they were and you know, with the exception of a couple of bowls, you know, South Carolina was the biggest one I would have to say that they had to 
pull out of their bowl and and cancel their bowl because of COVID. During the bowls and during championship weekend and all of that, they were able to get through it no problem. So they had some issues during the regular season, but were able to get through it and didn't have any problems during the, the postseason. NFL. They had a few problems here and there during the regular season, but it, were able to get through the postseason, no problem. High school football here in South Carolina. Had some issues during the regular season, had some cancellations and whatnot. But then outside of just one, outside of one team having to pull out, outside of Oceanside having to pull out, there weren't any problems during the, well, and and the 2A game being pushed back. That was it. But there it was pushed back and they, they could, you know, move move on. Uh, you know, NBA, they've been able to get through their season no problem for the most part. College basketball, you know, there were some teams that had some issues, and there were some teams that, you know, either completely canceled their season or, you know, cut it very short or, you know, reduced their games by a lot. But, and and, and now they're getting hit hard during the, conference tournaments and we'll see how that we'll see what happens with the NCAA tournament that's that it's going to be very interesting to see and then obviously baseball we're still waiting to see how that works this year been very hit or miss when it's come to all of these things and the big question now is going to be what what happened where where do we go from here um you know and the the big question and I'm going to be on the lookout for this um you know oh okay actually that thank you thank you Ian Garen he he was listening to me and he actually texted me uh saying tier 1 team members have to have seven negative tests before going to Indianapolis. So they could theoretically, if they tested negative from today all the way up next Friday, they could theoretically still play. They'd have to play on Friday, but theoretically they are still able to. But now, if they have a positive test tomorrow, then that would knock them out. At least that's my that would be my assumption. You know, if if they're not if they don't if they have a positive co- test come in on Selection Sunday, then that may knock them out entirely. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, moving moving forward uh but the the year just keeps on getting crazier and crazier with with everything going on uh and you know it's not all that surprising you know you kind of expected this to happen 
But it's actually it's actually kind of fitting that the day that everything stopped, the ACC, which I think, if I remember correctly, was one of the first tournaments to shut things down last year. ACC uh, to cancel one of their semifinals uh, before it's played due to COVID. So tough break, tough break for Virginia. That's that's for sure. Uh, but it it is what it is. That this is the world we live in now. That. Anything can be taken away at the drop of a hat. So it is what it is, but that's just that's just the world we live in now. Unfortunately, we're on the right track, though. We're on the right track, starting to get back to normal vaccines and all of that. So getting closer to that that seemingly mythical quote-unquote back to normal now, but we're we're getting there. We're getting there. One final thing before I sign off, as I only have a couple of minutes left. The big news, and, and I know this is something that's not exactly all that big around here, but uh, some big news uh, that came out the other day uh, on the hockey front. Hockey returning to ESPN next season. And yes, seeing hockey on ESPN is going to be great. And, uh, you know, having it get more of a spotlight is going to be a lot of fun. But the main reason, and I, I love the NBC Sports Network. The or the NHL on NBC theme, but the main reason why to be ex- why you want to be excited for the NHL returning for re- for the NHL returning to the to ESPN is simply for its theme. And if you haven't heard it before, I'm gonna play it to sign off today. So I'm Brandon Biscobing saying so long. And I'll talk to you guys next week. And here is one of the best themes in
this is a story. I've never cried after I got off the floor. I don't know. I wish you were here. Somebody was. I hope I didn't ruin it for you. I hope you still had a good time. I hope you watched me again. Mm-hmm.